Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. It's a great pleasure to have you with us. It's a very special episode. We have a guest here in the studio. Lila Bialy is a singer, pianist, songwriter, performing and recording artist. It's a great pleasure to have her here in the studio, and along with the interview, we are pleased to present some exclusive performances from her. We're going to be talking about a number of things, including the new album she has out. It's called Out of Dust, and Lila Bialy, it's a great pleasure to have you here. It's my pleasure to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. So, you came in for yesterday from Sarasota? I did. <laughs> Sunny, warm Sarasota. <laughs> and not normally thought of as being cold, but you're, you're now in the peach state. I'm in the peach state, indeed. Yeah, and it's so funny. I mean, thank God I packed my layers because I head to New York City on Sunday. I didn't expect it to be cold in Powder Springs. <laughs> but where you're originally from, you're used to cold, correct? You know, I am. And I was talking to my husband about this last night. I'm from Canada. Grew up in Vancouver, so Vancouver is not so bad because of the moderating effect of the ocean on the West Coast there. But I'm in Toronto now, and I was touring earlier this month. I was in the prairies, where it was minus 40 degrees Celsius with a wind chill. So I shouldn't be complaining. It is still (laughs) quite balmy here relative to uh, Canada. Well, Canada is a country with some of the greatest songwriters who ever were. You have Gordon Lightfoot, Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen, so many. From a musical standpoint, what would you say your upbringing was like in Canada? You know, I grew up a classical pianist, so it wasn't until I was in college that I discovered Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen, and more recently, Gordon Lightfoot. I just watched a documentary about him. I I was aware of Sarah McLachlan, who's a more contemporary singer-songwriter. But yeah, I was really into composers and, uh, you know, the music of those who were mostly deceased, the romantic composers, classical music composers, Baroque composers. And my first love really was classical piano, but I was also the youngest of four sisters, And they would be blasting everything from Michael Jackson to U2. So artists and bands who were more renowned internationally rather than Canada's own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, this classical exposure that you had and this love of classical music, has that had an effect on your own music? Absolutely, it has. I think it's probably more evident in the instrumental music I've written over the years. So... When it comes to um, what I do as a singer-songwriter, you know, there, there, there might be strains of classical influences in the, the way that the songs are arranged, just moments. Yeah, I think it's always there, you know, we, I think as musicians, we're borrowing from all that we know at all times, whether we know it or not, you know, um, it's all kind of part of that palette that we paint with. So yes, the, the short answer would be yes. <laughs> 
So how did that happen? How did you begin to write songs yourself? Well, I remember my first instrumental song that I ever wrote. I was 12, and it was called Les Sortilèges, which means the spells in uh, French. I think I thought I was more sophisticated naming it in another language. <laughs> it was kind of a spooky, Halloween-y little song. And then I didn't really write much for a good long while, but when I was 15, I injured my arm, and I was in a, I was in a car accident, and that kind of rendered me unable to take on these ambitious and highly technical classical pieces that um, I had been learning, and you know I had dreams of going to Curtis Institute or Juilliard, and so those dreams were quickly dashed, and and that was when I actually kind of discovered jazz and singing and arranging and writing. But it really wasn't until I went to college for jazz that I began to compose on a regular basis. And it was artists like Kenny Wheeler. He's a Canadian composer. Um, he, he lived in the UK for a long time, but he's quite well known among contemporary jazz circles. And his music to me, it wasn't third stream, but it was this beautiful mix of jazz and classical, and it was so listenable and beautiful, not kind of edgy and daytonal. And so in that sense, I could identify with it, and that was when I started to really write music of my own. Well, speaking of your own music, I have the, the new album of yours, Out of Dust. Great work. Thank you. And I'm hoping you can tell the listeners out there, if they're wondering what gave you the idea to call the album Out of Dust? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 2018 through 2019 were kind of banner years for me, big years. I released a self-titled album. It was my seventh album, but I, I made it self-titled because it felt like it. all these different threads and influences musically finally converged on one album, and I won a Juno in Canada for the album, for vocal that vocal jazz album of the year, I was in the same category as Diana Krall, who was a hero of mine. So that was a huge deal. And I won another award um, for songwriting that was also sort of pretty prestigious in Canada, was touring all over the world, flying high in so many ways. But then at the same time, behind the scenes, my life was kind of unraveling. Mm. We had lost uh, my husband's cousin to suicide a couple years prior. That was largely why we moved from New York to Toronto. And we were still processing her death. And then I lost one of my closest friends to cancer. I was uh, became quite ill um, while I was touring. So you know how social media goes. I had to keep this shiny veneer online. Everything's great. You know, come see me here. And look, look at how great everything is going. But behind behind the scenes, I was really sick. And eventually I was diagnosed with a couple of autoimmune diseases, and which was just a new world for me. But it made sense of why I was struggling so much. And, and thus began a whole new journey towards uh, one of healing. And, and then go figure... Several months after the diagnosis, we found out that we had a really massive mold issue in our rental bungalow. And that was actually where we were recording the vocals for Out of Dust. Mm. 
And we had deadlines. We're scrambling to get this done. And we discovered that this were our this place, the space where we live and record has essentially been poisoning us. And we had to, you know, kind of move everything to a different room that was much safer, which was really disruptive. And so all of this is going on behind the scenes. And I was writing out of this place of loss, but, but with this fundamental belief that I held onto throughout that there would be that proverbial silver lining that amidst all the heartbreak and suffering, you know, I mean, it was that for us, something good would come out of it all. And I've always believed that that's kind of, I'm, uh, you know, a woman of faith and that's a big part of who I am. And so, yeah, I was writing out of that place and that was uh, really the inspiration for the title of the song out of the dust we rise, if you could sort of add a couple words, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, very powerful. Thanks. There's a song on this album, Out of Dust. It's Wendy's song. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you would maybe perform that for us. It would be my pleasure. Maybe tell us a little bit about it before you perform it. Yeah, so I mentioned that friend who who, uh, passed away, and that was Wendy. She was a huge advocate of the arts and a huge supporter of mine and became a very dear friend over decades. Then she was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma, and I had the great privilege of being at her bedside when she passed away, and I had never witnessed someone's passing, and uh, I had the chance to just, you know, hold her hand and tell her that I would dedicate the new album to her, which, of course, she'll never hear on this earth, but uh, it was very meaningful to tell her that 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 was my heart's intention and of course that's what's happened and that was actually her song Wendy's song was the first one that was written for the, for the album she was uh, born in rural Ontario and raised on a farm and uh, and then she moved to the city when she was in her early 20s and really embraced her city life and she was always equally a woman of the land and of the farm and a woman of the city and so that's kind of what this song speaks to as I tell her story. But then there's also a line at the end that encapsulates what we've already talked about, that this idea that life can come from death. And I witnessed that even in Wendy's legacy, that, you know, now, months after she passed away, her memory lives on in such a profound way. And I'm, I feel... Uh, responsibility to help carry her memory forward. So that's the story behind that song. All right. Let's hear it. She was born in Southern Ontario. Reverend 
parents in that farmhouse A firm foundation had been laid And the fields roll on like galaxies The starry night there come is found In the season spin like pinwheels They circle around year after year So many stories worth the telling You were talking earlier about 
all these different things that, that came up into your life at once. And I know there's someone who's listening who sees themselves there. So being that you went through all of these things, what could you say to someone? What can keep them going? Hmm. You know, it can sound like such a pat answer or a little bit Pollyanna-like, but history has taught me that nothing is wasted. I don't believe anything is wasted in this life. And while it can be difficult to hold on to that perspective when you're in the thick of the storm, I really believe that there is there is a light, pardon the cliche, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, for me, part of that light is that now, you know, my story, I hope, will bring others comfort if they are, in fact, going through something. And, I mean, I want to also acknowledge now that what we've had to face is a fraction of what others might be going through. And, and I know many people, I mean, around the world are dealing with but even still, it means a lot to me that I'm in more of a position to be able to empathize with people who are in the midst of something tough. So yeah, I would I would just, you know, <laughs> again, it's so hard to avoid the cliches, but I believe so much in the power of, of love, the transformative power of love, and that um, when we offer our lives and our stories authentically, we will make an impact for good in the world. And that's what I believe we're here to do, to receive love, to give love. And that's kind of my credo in a nutshell. On the upside, one of the very cool things about being a musician like yourself is you get to meet some people that are just, they're incredible. Or maybe you see them in concert and you think, wow, what would it be like to meet them? And a few of the people that you've met would include Chris Bodie, Sting, Paula Cole, who was a guest on this show. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love her. Me too. Me too. Who put you in awe? Who are you? Wow. I mean, it's all those people that you mentioned, Paula... Paula is extraordinary. As you know, she gives 150%. She's an absolute force. And getting to support her on stage and watch how she could connect with the audience and move them. I mean, everything in her is, is, is being put forward. And it's, it's a force. Sting, of course, is a longtime hero. And in fact, it was a dream of mine to work with him and ha had been for most of my 20s. So when I was 29 and I got asked to audition for one of his projects and then got scooped up to do it, I just couldn't believe it. And he remains a friend of, of, of our family to this day. He's an absolute prince of a human being, a total gentleman through and through and the, you know, a superlatively gifted person and artist and thinker and visionary and all of that. And he just keeps going. He's unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. So I would give him hero status for sure. I have to ask, because I'm a huge fan, what was Chris Bodie like to me? Oh, well, Chris, Chris is interesting. He's a bit of an enigma, if I'm honest. Very funny. Very, as you've seen, you know, you've seen him perform, perform live, so he's, a, he's very dapper and actually reminds me a little bit of Sting. He could almost be Sting's younger brother or something. <laughs> but he's 
a very hard worker. So, you know, he, he knows how to have a good time. I can tell you that much. But faithfully, he would practice his long tones every day. I wasn't on the road with him that long, but long enough to have witnessed that. And uh, yeah, he's he's very funny and he's really kind. Um, and I, I bumped into him again years later as part of working with Sting. And that was just a total full circle moment, right? <laughs> to work first with Chris, almost like a stepping stone to Sting for me. And then to work with Sting. And then finally the two of them together. Because they're, they're, you know, BFF, those two. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking earlier about the album that came out before this one. Yeah. This one is the eighth, correct? Yes, you, you're you like the first person to get that right. Ah, really? Uh-huh. And so the last one was the seventh, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping you can tell us about the song Satellite. Yeah. So Satellite was written when I was a new mom, and my husband's also a musician. We actually played together with Paula Cole. That's how we met in uh-huh. her band. And uh, we were trying to figure out how to make a go of it on the road with this tiny screaming beautiful, blessed child. (laughs) And we decided pretty early on that we would divide and conquer. So I was touring by myself away from my boys and missing them so profoundly. And uh, after the show, I was in my my little rental car driving home or driving to where I was staying. And I, I had this idea you know, what would be, what would it be like to kind of mentally beam them into the space? And of course that is not possible. It defies the laws of physics, but it did bring them closer to heart and mind. And then that song satellite came to life right then and there in the car after the show, the lyrics, then the concept. How would you feel about playing that song for the listeners? I would love to share it with them.
What is the best thing about being Lila Bialy? Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, life as a musician, I think today, nowadays more than ever, is really hard. But it's also a, a, an extraordinary privilege. And while the word called can be kind of loaded, I do feel called to do what I do. And I think that's the thing that I love most about who I am and what I get to do in this world is something that I love that um, is in a way an offering to those who hear it. And it's amazing that I get, you know, a little platform where I get to share what I believe in and hopefully make some small difference in the world. You were saying that you feel called. Mm-hmm. You're going to be performing tonight in a, a very sweet, interesting place called Gainesville, Georgia. And when somebody goes out and they see you, or you could look at a record as a performance also, when somebody is hearing your music, what is it that you're hoping that they get out of it? Well, I hope they can feel the authenticity of the message and the performance, and that that stirs something in them where they feel invited to be fully themselves in the world. I, some of the most moving moments for me have been, you know, at live shows when people come up to me afterwards and occasionally there'll be a, you know, a grown man in tears and it's very humbling. And because I've perhaps shared a very personal story, he'll say that story really moved me and then he'll share a little bit of his story with me. And that moment, that personal exchange is everything. Like, to me, that's what life is all about, connection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and of course, I hope it's fun. I want to get people moving in their seats. And, you know, our, our show, the songs I play, range and style and mood. And so we, we, we want to, yeah, we want to move people and, and leave them feeling like they had a great experience, something mm-hmm. memorable. Yeah. This question is very open-ended. You could really go anywhere here. For anyone who's listening, for anyone who's tuned in, whether 
this is someone, this is the first time they're hearing your music, or they're a fan of yours and they, they want to hear everything you do, what would you say to anyone who is listening? Oh, I, well, I would, I'm thinking of that line. I said this earlier in my own words, but my kind of big capital B message, capital M would be, it's, it's a line from Nature Boy, the jazz standard written by Eden Abes. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. And that's, that's what I would say. And in my own way, that's, that's my like, bless you, <laughs> you know, cause I want to see, it's interesting as a musician, the spotlight is often on, on me, right? It's like, okay, who are you? And, but I, I've always loved artists who turn that spotlight around and say, I want to know about you. Who are you? Hmm. I think that Bono is, is sort of good at saying, you know, instead of just look at me, look at me, it's like, look past me. You know, or look look at yourself. Well, they want they want to reflect to people something beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just gave me the perfect segue. <laughs> who are you? Who is Lila at heart? Who would you? We put all these labels on you: mm-hmm. recording artist, a performer, a singer, yeah. a pianist. Who is yeah. the real Lila? Well, you know. I am, I am going to, because my faith is such a big part of who I am. I am a Christian, so that's a huge part of, of, uh, of who I am. It's like, and I don't see that as separate. Like, I don't go, oh, reli-, you know, I'm a religious person and, and kind of see that as, as its own thing. I, I'm a spiritual being. I believe we're all spiritual beings. So fundamentally, that's such a huge part of who I am. I'm, you know, believe I'm someone who's unconditionally loved and has the capacity to thus love others. I know this can all sound very earthy, <laughs> earthy, crunchy, airy fairy, and I, you know, I'm as equally a proponent of science and all that stuff too. But you know, when it comes down to it, it's I, I believe in in love and. Uh, and I believe I'm someone who is unconditionally loved by some higher power, and that's what changes me, and that's what drives the music and drives me as a person. And it takes a lot of courage to say that, but you just asked me outright, so how could <laughs> I hold back? Well, Lila, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for coming out here. It's a great pleasure to have you here. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you today, Paul. Thank you for having me. I have one more request. (laughs) Would you possibly play one more song to send the listeners on their way? Absolutely. Which one will that be? You know what? I want to send them off kind of moving in their seats. Um, So I'm going to play a song that uh, was inspired by our time in Brooklyn. My husband and I lived there together for five years in Prospect Heights, and we watched our neighborhood get uh, co-opted and kind of taken over, which was good and bad. There were amazing boutiques popping up and restaurants, but then the underbelly of that, um, of gentrification essentially was that people were getting unlawfully evicted from their homes. But I watched, you know, various tenants rise up in defense of the rights of other tenants and their own rights. And this movement kind of 
took shape, and it was extraordinary. And so I wrote this song thinking of them, and uh, it's got a little bit of a gospel flavor to it. It's called Got to Love. Got to Love. All right, let's hear it. Thank you so much again. <laughs> Whoa, you go deep. <laughs> you go really deep. I was like, can I say this on the radio? Are people going to complain <laughs> and write in and be like, she can't talk about religion? <laughs> no worries. The boop, bop, deep, bop, doodly, keep, bop, doodly, shop, bop, ding, daka. Goodbye.